Workers of the learning world, this is your moment. Job vacancies at record levels, the big quit underway, unemployment low, wages on the rise, and with digital learning in particular having taken a big step forward during the pandemic, learning people, surely the world is your oyster. Mmm, we do love oysters. Is it just a moment? How long can the good times last? Welcome to The Learning Hack, a podcast about the people and technologies that are creating the future of learning. I'm John Helmer. Now, guess what? Learning is cool. Learning is cool. Learning is cool. I'm learning. Learning is fun. Knowledge is power. Knowledge. Education. There's been a huge amount of upheaval in the job market over the last two years, and there are no signs yet as we record this podcast of the situation calming down. Learning is a particularly volatile space, and we know these issues affect pretty much everyone who listens to this podcast. So we wanted to hear from somebody at the very centre of the maelstrom, somebody who can answer a lot of the questions you will have. Kate Fitzgerald, Head of Fact, tell the people who our guest is this time. Hack Facts. Nick Jones is an owner and director of Blue Eskimo, the UK's leading recruitment specialist for the L&D, training, e-learning and learning technology sector. Nick's career in learning started over 20 years ago as an account director for two major training providers before co-founding Blue Eskimo in 2003 with Nick Bate. Nick holds an MBA from Aston University Business School with a focus on organisational development. So, Jay Curtis, Head of Themes. What themes did we cover in our chat? You talked about the Great Resignation, you talked about the state of the labour market in the UK and abroad, and of course you talked about the rise of homeworking, which has become such a salient feature of the current working scene. You also covered changes in the skill set for working professionals, including the growing importance of digital skills. It was great to hear Nick's view of all these issues, a real insider's perspective from someone who sits at the interface between the needs of employers and those of the workforce. So if you're a talented individual looking towards your next source of employment, or an employer perhaps wondering how you're going to attract the brightest and best to come work for your organisation, this one's for you. So Nick Jones, welcome to The Learning Hack. Hi John, thank you. First of all, can you tell us uh, about how you came to found Blue Eskimo and what your role there is now? Um, well, it was a long time ago, first of all. It was um, nearly 20 years ago, myself and uh, my co-director, Nick Bate. Um, we're not recruiters by trade, um, John. We're, we're from the learning industry, actually. Both of us had, had positions within the training industry, as it was. Um, we wanted to set up a business, um, and genuinely, the only business that we could think of where we could add value was a business where we could leverage our, our network, people, essentially. So we decided to become recruiters, um, and as I said, that was nearly 20, 20 years ago. Um, we work with a, 
really, I suppose, an eclectic mix of um, organisations, clients, vendors, providers of learning services on the one hand, L&D and OD consulting practices and digital learning companies. Uh, and on the other side, corporate organisations, internal learning and development functions. Um, and no rhyme or reason in terms of sector. So it could be anything from a retailer to a hedge fund. Um, and it can be in predominantly the UK, but we also recruit um, in the US and in Europe also, typically for more strategic roles. So one of the biggest topics in recruitment at the moment is the so-called great resignation. Mm. Uh, I hear a lot of conflicting opinions about this, that it's a cliff edge, that on the other hand, maybe it's just a blip, uh, that it's a US only phenomenon, or that maybe it doesn't exist at all. As someone at the centre of recruitment, um, I'm really interested to hear what your angle is on this, gives you a hot take. Okay, so so my view is that it does exist, <laughs> um, and and uh, I, I think Forbes um, referred to it as a great reshuffle, which is I think probably more accurate um, for what we've experienced, particularly in the UK market. Um, so reshuffle rather than great resignation, because ultimately um, for every person that's leaving a position, particularly in learning and development, it's essentially creating a gap in the same position that they were leaving. So it's a never ending cycle. Um, we've seen an increase just for 2022 of about 65% in terms of vacancy volumes um, on a like for like wow. basis. Um, it's been incredibly busy. Uh, so the volume of opportunities is immense, but I think it's partly driven by the fact that the, for sure is a lot of people leaving positions. Um, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's a US phenomenon. I think that we're seeing it. The proof is, is definitely backed up in the statistics. Um, and as uh, we'd run a, a survey annually, um, John, work and salary survey, which we, we, we release, um, we had about 1500 respondents. And just in terms of statistics from that, we found that about 48% of uh, all respondents said that they were likely to leave their jobs within 12 months. This was in February in 2022. Um, we also found, um, which I thought was also very interesting, was what the primary reasons were. So in asking the question around their primary reasons for leaving jobs, we would have probably expected it to be maybe more geared around the financial side of things, remuneration, comp and benefits. Um, what was quite stark was that around 20%, um, their motivation really was around challenge and uh, another 20% around career prospects. So people are leaving roles for sure, and their motivations are perhaps a little bit different than they were pre-pandemic. How particular do you think what you're seeing might be to the, the industry we're in, the learning industry, or do you think it's subject to the same forces uh, that you see in the general recruitment market? So talking to peers and colleagues that are in the generalist recruitment market, they're generally saying the same thing. There, there is, um, okay. there is a, 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 a clear lens in terms of recruitment activity. For us in the learning market, what we've seen, um, which is really interesting and also quite disturbing, is that when the pandemic hit, the vast majority of roles that were cut, so redundancies, were at the strategic level. So it tended to be um, high-level positions, 
probably um, uh, leadership positions and tactical positions, so roles such as design, even delivery um, of learning, weren't that significantly affected. Um, what we've seen in terms of that 65% increase is across the board. So we've got strategic roles coming back that weren't in existence throughout the pandemic and a constant flow of those tactical resources. So I think for us in the learning market, the real challenge is that there is just not enough talent to meet demand um, fundamentally if it carries on in this trajectory. Okay, that's interesting. So when you say strategic roles, are you saying that people maybe higher up the org chart were, were, were let go? Yeah. Than people who are actually doing stuff. Yeah. What, what's going on there? Honestly, I don't know. Um, we've tried to understand some of this um, ourselves, but I think you know, generally speaking, it was probably a purely financial, you know, line on a PL that could be removed and removed, you know, relatively rapidly. So we we yeah. saw. I mean, we we spent as recruiters um, maybe four or five months. Uh, talking to people, um, often people that we know, certainly people that we've that we've met, um, in really panicked situations. You know, they've lost their 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 roles. There were no roles at that point because recruitment essentially ceased in the pandemic in the early stages. And then what we started to see was organisations realising that actually they still need to continue to deliver learning as a service. The strategic resources in many instances weren't there, um, so they leaned on more and more tactical design and development, typically of digital learning at that point, for obvious reasons, I guess. We were all at home, right? So, you know, digital learning fame came firmly into the, um, into the lens. That's just so interesting, um, that, that level of detail on what was going on there. So pulling back a bit, speaking more broadly, um, how would you sum up the current state of the labour market here in the UK and elsewhere? Because obviously you, you, you deal outside the UK. So I guess um, we, we're specialists in learning and development, so I can only probably speak to the learning and development space. Um, but at a, yeah. at a broader level, I mean... You know, economists are telling us that there are more roles out there than they've ever been. I think 1.3, 1.4 million uh, vacancies in the UK currently. Um, but what it doesn't really do is break down what those vacancies are and in what categories. Um, in the learning sector, what we're definitely seeing is that there is a increased demand, uh, some of which is being driven by the learning tech community. Um, mm -hmm. what, what I mean by that is a lot of platform and a lot of organisations from outside of the UK entering the UK. So they're looking at sales resource. They're also looking at design, uh, project management, customer success. Um, and, you know, the only way for them to hire that skill set is to take that skill set from a pre-existing incumbent in the UK market, um, creating more vacancies, um, which is good for recruiters, right? I'm not complaining, John, as a recruiter. Um, no, in, no, in the more general sense, what we also see is learning design um, and development of digital assets in particular, but also the pivoting back to face-to-face uh, -face delivery, even if that's being done virtually. So what then happens is corporates um, um, bring back those strategic learning leadership roles 
and then decide that what they need to do is to beef up and to develop their internal teams so they start hiring more instructional designers and content authors and even delivery uh, resources project managers etc um, and again what that does is it it it, it, it creates a um a, a, a pent-up demand which we're experiencing even um at the moment for sure i've now i noticed you've got a category on your website called home-based mm -hmm. jobs uh, a lot of people got used to doing their jobs from home during the pandemic yeah. um i've always done my job my job from home <laughs> um lucky in that way um, quite a lot of them it seems want to carry on doing their jobs from home because when they've been working at home during the pandemic they've discovered what a cushy life hell no has. <laughs> um, want to do the same perhaps um that's a joke not everybody wants to go back to the office now uh, at least not full time uh, and we've seen that there's been a kind of stalling in the return to to offices uh generally reported in the ft how are employers dealing with this new situation in your view i think the caricature we get is the bosses want the workers back in the office, the workers want to stay at home. Is that true? Um, all of the above, <laughs> in the sense that, um, <laughs> look, the reality is no, people don't want to go back to offices. Um, they, they don't want to go back to offices because they want flexibility. Um, they've always wanted flexibility. And in, in some organisations, it's been there pre-pandemic. Um, now yeah. it's, it's forced because the labour market, again, I can only really speak to the learning and development space, um, really can't, is not in a position to insist that people work the way that perhaps they did pre-pandemic. Um, it's also very true that many roles within learning and development actually lend themselves to hybrid and home working peace and quiet, creativity, um, they're all things that, that, that potentially can be done almost better from home. Um, so, so what we are seeing is organisations trying to get individuals to go back to an office environment probably on a three-day week. There's resistance right. to that. And organisations are, are, are not achieving that, even that's the stated aim. They're, 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 they're not really achieving that, particularly in the large conurbation areas. We do know f from the survey that we conducted that, that remote working from a perception perspective is, is working. Um, we asked the survey to what extent they agree with the statement that remote working has been a success and probably unsurprisingly 90% agree um, we also um, we also asked uh, how successful social connections have been throughout the pandemic whilst working from home and again 90% saying that it's been either successful or very successful so individuals feel that that the their ability to work in a hybrid fashion and a home-based fashion um, is not only uh, something that they want but they feel is also beneficial so I don't know how we're going to get people to go back to the office if that's even what we yeah. want John you know <laughs> so the, your survey now perhaps I should ask if we could drill into who's in that base yeah. and do you have a representation from the employers so to speak the people in the uh, leadership roles and c-suite and whether there's a difference in how they answer that question to how the employees answer that is the perception with management is it a common one that yes home working works i mean anecdotally i would say absolutely 
um, because it's not just the workers, um, it is also those more strategic resources, individuals that are still working from home. So this is a personal thing. It's an okay. individual thing. I don't think we can say, you know, bosses want people to come back to the office. I think organisations would like to have people working in an office environment at least reasonably regularly, but that's a... Uh, training, mentoring, well-being issue, um, not, I don't think, an issue as to whether people can be productive. I suppose, I mean, I would assume that one thing that is quite individual about our industry is that it is something that can be done virtually mm. quite a lot. I mean, obviously, if, say you're, 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 you're training um, airline staff and you have to show them how to evacuate a particular type of airplane you know you might want to have that big mocked up airplane that you know we we see in uh training centers mm. for, for for that particular kind of use and there are a lot of examples of that but in general most training can be done virtually can't it it definitely can um however um i guess one thing that is interesting is that even pre-pandemic one of the things that we were finding increasingly possibly the most important skill set for all learning and development professionals was really around stakeholder management because they want learning and development to be um, embedded at an organisational level and add real value. And that can only be done through building relationships and rapport and engaging with stakeholders, understanding, questioning. Um, so yeah. I think the challenge really is, well, how... How do we do that using technology? Is technology a barrier to that, i.e. all via Teams? Um, can we build the relationships that we need if we're not in an office? Um, and I think these are, these are probably questions that I can't answer, but they're certainly the questions that are going through the minds of employers, <laughs> for sure, at the moment. Okay, interesting. In the struggle against the forgetting curve that learning people are engaged in every day, there are no magic formulas but there is science. For well over a century, psychologists have known that the spacing effect unlocks deep learning and helps learners power through to peak performance. And yet who uses it, despite the fact that modern learning systems like LXPs make it almost easy? I've written a white paper with Learning Pool that shows how you can use the spacing effect to beat the forgetting curve. Download it now. The Learning Hack podcast is supported by Learning News, the learning sector's newswire. Rob and his team are good friends of the podcast, and we really value the help and advice we've had from them, and they do a great job. For the very latest news from around the learning sector, for interviews with learning leaders, the latest from learning sector vendors and features on workplace learning, go to learningnews.com. So sort of leading on for that, how important are digital skills to the L&D role now? Um, obviously, they're more important than they were, but, but how important exactly? And how have you seen that change? And maybe we, you can answer the question a bit more broadly as well. What other changes in the L&D skill set do you see around that? So, um, again, referring back to kind of pre-pandemic times, I would have said that analysis of information would have been a a new almost a new role a new function within learning so that learning analyst piece 
And we're definitely seeing that come to fruition following the pandemic. And I think the, the link to technology is that it's about people. And so the technology discussions um, are decisions rather that are being made currently at the CIO suite level um, are now starting to impact learning and development. So, of course, we're all using Microsoft Teams. We're starting to have new knowledge sharing tools. We're starting to layer in new stacks of, of platform. Um, we're seeing, and you could see it, learning technologies, John, when, when you were there, you know, the, the, the number of LXP and LMS vendors and other technologies in between within that learning tech stack have increased exponentially. Um, new entrants yeah. to the market, huge amounts of money being spent. But I think talking to the vendors, uh, a lot of the decisions are being made at a CIO level, or at least involving the CIO, which means that learning and development is going to move more towards um, at least heavy involvement in technology by, by default, whether they were doing it pre-pandemic or not. So I think, you know, to answer your question, I think understanding technology, how technology enables learning is a pretty fundamental question for all organisations because we're working in a different way than we, than we were before and there's no signs that that's going to change. What you're saying there, that the, uh, the buying of learning technology learning systems is moving away from L&D towards the, the kind of IT department function? Anecdotally, yes. Um, That's interesting because it moved the opposite way. It, you know, if I go back kind of 20 years, it was initially thought this would be an IT sale and then after a while people realised, no, you know, they don't understand what's needed of a, le a learning management system. More expertise um, grew up within the learning department, so it became an L&D buy, but you're saying it's now more of a strategic IT Bye. Certainly from a platform perspective, because there's so yeah. much deep integration with HRIS systems now because of, yeah. because of teams, particularly teams, because most organisations are kind of Microsoft houses, um, suddenly teams, SharePoint, knowledge sharing, um, speed of knowledge sharing, uh, encryption, all of these issues that, that really they, they may have existed in some sectors, but they're now existing in all sectors because so much of the workforce is working from home. So the learning and development function, if it's in an organisation that is hybrid or, re or remote, has to involve technology possibly in a deeper way than they did before. And, but a lot of those decisions are perhaps a little bit broader. And now mm. we've, we are seeing involvement from, for sure, the CIO uh, or, 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 you know, IT department uh, uh, as was. Really interesting. This is some really interesting detail for, for someone like me, I have to say, and I hope for the <laughs> listeners as well. With widespread skill shortages and a reduced labour pool, it's easy to think that it's a seller's market that we're in now mm -hmm. I mean in, in a way you know it's like being kind of an estate agent <laughs> I, I suppose you know what you're selling um, employee expertise and so on those people now have the whip, whip hand as it were because there are skills there's a, a general skills shortage you know it's not as sectional as it used yeah. to be 
do you actually see any signs of a shift in the balance of power between employers and employees? I, mean, I realise my question's gone out of date because you did mention an example of that when you're talking about working from home. It seems the employees have a bit of power now to say, nope, I want flexible working. That wasn't the case a while ago. I remember a, a, a job interview where an employer said to me, we will give flexible working after three or four years um, as, as a kind of reward yeah. We certainly wouldn't think of it from an employee, even, you know, for the senior marketing role as after. So do you actually see any signs of a shift in the balance of power between employers and employees in a broader way? And if so, is it a blip or a more long-term change? We're just going to go back to normal in the next couple of years. Sorry, several questions in there, Nick. And I did warn you, <laughs> I tend to ask rather long questions. Um, I would say that there are a couple of there are a couple of points i i do personally think that this is a moment in time um but we are seeing significant very significant wage inflation in the learning sector that that that, and that's a self-fulfilling prophecy for sure because um organizations um have very high demand particularly for those tactical roles so the design the deployment the delivery of learning projects offline or online is back firmly on the agenda for for most organizations at the moment so we're seeing a lot of activity um, which creates roles and if there's roles um, and a finite talent pool then it's going to create wage inflation and um, and we've seen that i think I, I wouldn't like to put a percentage on it but you know we've it's not uncommon to see 20 or 30 percent um uh, increases in in uh, compensation um wow. candidates are in a very for some skill sets, luxurious position of really being asked, able to ask for whatever they want to an extent. Um, employers, and in in some instances, are, are are doing that as well because competition's high. There's wage inflation. They're relaxing rules around um, home working. Uh, we're also seeing situations where individuals, you know, they want to know and contractually that they're only going to have to go into an office once a month or once a week. Um, and mm-hmm. organisations might say, well, look, we have a flexible working policy and it's our intention to continue with that. And even that may not be enough at this moment in time. Um, whether that continues or not, I think depends on what happens at a more macroeconomic level, because we might find um, we might find that we enter a, a recessionary period, in which case I can't see how that level of um, uh, a disparity can can continue. What advice would you have for people who are looking to move jobs at the moment and generally to develop their careers in learning? How do you make yourself an attractive employee in this market? Um, I think you know the, the onus is for sure on the individual um, to d- develop their personal brand, um, whether that's just rewriting of a CV but with some real thought and attention or whether it's thinking at a wider level about their career path and how personal brand um, affects that or can affect that positively. Um, So what I mean by that is that if you look at some individuals who are highly successful um, even if they haven't moved organisations but they've moved up the ranks if, if you like often what they are is very visible very engaged, very involved, um, and it's quite easy to demonstrate um, the value that they bring to the table. 
if you look at uh, a CV of an individual who looks really good, the very first thing I can guarantee you that every organization will do is look at their LinkedIn profile. Um, on the LinkedIn profile, what they'll be looking for is how engaged is this individual in their market or even in their own organization? Um, you know, are they active? I don't mean necessarily with comments or posts, but are they, are, are they presented um, in the same way that, they, that their CV reflects? So my advice to anyone would be, there are some practical steps that you can, that you can do to optimize yourself. Um, a bit like a search engine. Um, so if you think about, for example, keywords that you might put into Google to find things or find uh, websites, um, you might want to think about that with your own CV. And are the keywords the things that you would like to be optimized for in there? And can you demonstrate that what you're saying about yourself is true? Um, it's a lot easier for, for example, an instructional designer or content developer to do that because they can create a portfolio, a literal um, set of work examples. You know, this is what my skill set allows me to be able to do. Um, it's a little bit more difficult for someone who is in a more generalist learning and development role. But what they can do is they can, um, they can make something of their successes and they can market themselves. Um, some people are uncomfortable with it, but it is super helpful if what you're looking to do is to develop yourself or to find a new position that you're perhaps, that maybe deviates away from your current, um, or indeed if you just are looking to promote or, or be promoted internally. Um, so there's, there's a lot of practical steps that you can, that you can take, but I think thinking about yourself and your as an individual ha having a personal brand and the value that you bring to the table is probably the first step so that's really interesting so having so profile is just absolutely important so obviously appearing on a as a guest on a top podcast like the learning hack would be good for it you would it, it would be absolutely it would be and if you can then um, bring that back to whatever you're saying, bring that back to some success that you've had as an individual, where if you were in an interview situation, you can you know, um, uh, demonstrate uh, through discussion the, the value that you've added for a particular project or programme. Um, that, that's something that a lot mm. of people just don't, don't do or overlook. Um, even if they know it's important. <laughs> so that's, that's my advice. Really, really think through um, what you're saying about yourself. Is that representative of how you think you would like to be viewed? And if not, then, you know, do, do something about that. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's a general good in that as well. I remember academics complaining about how they know all the, the really great stuff in uh, technology-enabled learning is going on in the organisational sphere mm. or a lot of the, the great stuff but they can't find out about it they don't know what's happening it's kind of a black box for them so the more that people kind of uh publicly demonstrate that the, the work they do there is a kind of general learning in the community that that comes out as, as well that's very but true. also great for your career folks if you want to appear on the learning hat obviously and, and nick has said this <laughs> so so this is good advice there'll be a queue i'm sure 
Just just one other point on that, John, is that you, to, to your point, really, one of the things that you can do, I mean, as learning professionals, what we often find is that, that some of the most successful learning professionals are quite involved in the learning community. Sometimes that includes yeah. on social, social media like, like LinkedIn. But what they'll often be doing that's really valuable is that they're helping to peer review, they're providing insights or they're commenting thoughtfully on what someone else is asking, perhaps as a question. All of that yeah. is searchable. Recruiters can find it. You know, um, employers can see it. Um, and it kind of demonstrates value without you even having to talk about what you specifically do. It's just out there. And that, that I think, is, you know, is, is useful. Uh, we're all marketers now. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Before we move to um, the final question, I, I, you've mentioned that the, 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 the survey results mm. that you've been drawing on in, in this interview, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight that came out of that survey that perhaps we haven't covered yet? Um, I think at a general, I think really for something like that survey, it's about, I don't know, 30 or 40 questions, and I think you can take it in the round um, as being generally positive. There are some nuanced uh, answers in there which suggest what we already know. So for example, the great resignation or great reshuffle, you could call, kind of predict because of the way people were answering questions. You know, when 47% of people um, say that they're looking to move jobs, there's a reason for that. And what we were able to draw out to a certain extent is what those reasons were. What I would probably take away um, is that anecdotally, after the pandemic, I think a lot of people had spent a lot of time thinking about their future um, and not necessarily seeing their future as going back to what they were doing before. Um, whether that's physically going into an office or whether it's literally um, doing the same role. And I think that's had a real big impact on the great reshuffle as Forbes frame it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was slightly sceptical about that explanation when I first heard it. But since I've, then I've talked to people who, who, who brought up Daniel Kahneman's thing of thinking mm -hmm. fast and thinking slow, that when we're in a kind of normal state of business as usual, um, the reptile brain is at the front and making decisions very quickly based on previous assumptions and so on. But the pandemic caused everybody to shift into the slow thinking mode where you were more reflective because a lot of those immediate kind of pressures just weren't there. And that sort of hangs together for me. And I think that's an, an interesting dynamic. No question there, I'm afraid. <laughs> So coming to the last of the questions, um, we, we, we asked what advice you had for people looking to, to move jobs. So the other side of that is for employers. What advice would you have to employers who want to attract the best staff and make themselves attractive to employees? Because obviously they have to do that now. Absolutely. Um, many organisations did it before to an extent. Um, many, for many organisations, it's lip service to a degree. Um, but... Just like with the individual personal brand, employers, many will need to th really think about their employee, uh, sorry, employer um, brand. 
Um, one of the best ways of doing that is to really engage your own employees because if you've got employees that are advocates for what you do as an organisation or a team, um, that can have huge value. Um, one of the ways of doing that is, again, on social media. Um, you know, if someone's going to join an organisation, they are going to have a look at who works there. What are people saying? Are they engaged? Are they? Do they seem like there's a mission to, to what they're doing? Um, if there is, and that's easy to find, that's going to really uh, increase your chances of securing the resource that you want um, at interview, possibly even more than salary um, and compensation and benefits, because really what people are looking for is something that is going to give them a good feeling um, and sometimes it's not money and we've seen a lot of this we've seen a lot of people move from very you know significantly paid positions to much lower paid positions because of that um, rationale they you know it's almost the it doesn't matter how much you pay me I'm not going to do it kind of mentality which has, I wouldn't say it's permeated, but it's definitely, it's happened. Um, and, and clearly that's got to be a result of pandemic, people being at home a lot more, spending more time with their family, um, not necessarily wanting to do the commute and the grind. <laughs> um, and yeah. so, so to attract people to your organisation, um, it's to, I guess, frame the best possible narrative um, around why it's great to work here. Um, many many organisations don't even attempt that, and, and that is a challenge if you want to hire. <laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting answer because I'd expected you to say, you know, flexibility, uh, we'll let you work from home a couple of days, and, and you come up with something very different, which is sort of like to have a great work culture, obviously, but to make that externally visible in a way that a, way a lot of other companies don't as a way of attracting staff so that was very interesting in fact i found all your answers absolutely fascinating um, i bet you i Nick, bet you say that to everyone I, john eh? i do actually <laughs> <laughs> but i don't always mean it as sincerely as i do this time <laughs> so uh, no you found me out there and so, <laughs> but but i'd I'd really like to thank you for taking the time today. It, for me, I think this has been one of the, really has genuinely been one of the most interesting um, discussions I've had about the industry for quite a while because um, it's taught me a lot. It's an interesting um, time. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's an interesting time yeah. and at an at a, um, industry level, but also I think for a lot of individuals, it's at a personal level. Um, and and that's, that, that, that's, you know, what is so interesting about what's been happening it doesn't look like it's subsiding yet. There is a lot of activity in the market. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of activity actually, but but we are probably starting to see some very early signs that things may um, slow down a little. Um, you know, uh, but I do think that's probably more to do with the 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 doom and gloom that we're seeing out there at a macro uh, economic level. Yeah, lots of that. Mm. <laughs> but for the time being, at least, no rapid return to the bad old days, business as usual, and so on. Absolutely. Unfortunately, business as usual, as usual at the Learning Hack podcast is that we have to keep the interviews to uh, a reasonable size. So I'm just going to say thank you very much, Nick Jones, for appearing today. Thank you, John. 
that's all on the Learning Hack podcast for this time. Many thanks to Nick and to our sponsors, Learning Pool. The Learning Hack is completely independent and transparently funded by sponsorship. If you want to help others find us, please like, follow, rate, review and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice or on YouTube. Next time, we stay on the theme of organisations and the skills that drive them. With Serena Gonzalez-Fersh as our guest, join us, won't you? Till then. Stay curious, learning people.